This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Now we talk about the dark triad. We're talking about a theory that there are three specific personality traits that can come together to cause specific difficulties. And these traits are narcissism, psychopathy, and a trait referred to as Machiavellianism. Now, the idea with this theory is that all three of these traits share a personality trait called antagonism, which we could conceptualize as low agreeableness on the five-factor model. Now, a number of studies have been conducted on the dark triad. Sometimes they're referred to as the dark traits. I'll be using a study here published in 2018 by Vise and colleagues. And this study was actually a meta-analysis. So this study studied a number of other articles published on the dark triad. So the idea is that themes can be found by looking at a number of studies that would be missed in any particular one study. So let's take a look at these three different traits. Now it's first important to understand that these are traits, these are not necessarily disorders like personality disorders. For example, with narcissism and psychopathy, we could conceptualize extreme narcissism in some cases as narcissistic personality disorder. And we could conceptualize psychopathy sometimes, particularly extreme traits, as antisocial personality disorder. But that's not what we're talking about here necessarily with the dark triad. So in looking at narcissism as it relates to the dark triad, we see that there are really two different kinds of narcissism, grandiose and vulnerable. With grandiose narcissism, we see traits like being dominant, arrogant, exploiting other people, and exhibitionism. And with vulnerable narcissism, we see characteristics like being shy and distrusting other people, having mood lability, so unstable mood, and being self-critical. When we look at the research on the dark triad, most of the research is really referring to grandiose narcissism and not really vulnerable narcissism. Now, with psychopathy, we see other characteristics, and of course, there may be some overlap with narcissism in many cases. But we see characteristics like violating social norms, being callous, having a lack of empathy, being impulsive, irresponsible, having superficial charm, and being manipulative, and having shallow affect. Now, when we look at the research that studies psychopathy related to the dark triad, here we're really talking about a continuum where there can be subclinical psychopathy all the way up to clinical psychopathy. So it's important to make this distinction between psychopathy as a continuum with very few symptoms all the way up to a clinical presentation and the way we see it in the mental health literature. So we look at it from a mental health perspective and we compare psychopathy to antisocial personality disorder. The way we usually think about this is that most everyone with psychopathy would qualify for a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder but only some individuals with antisocial personality disorder would qualify as having psychopathy. Again, this is looking at it from a clinical perspective, and we look at the dark triad, the whole range of psychopathic characteristics and levels are considered, not just the clinical. Now, the last trait in the dark triad is Machiavellianism. 
but we don't really see this mentioned in the clinical literature very much. This is really something we see more in literature related to careers. So with Machiavellianism, we see characteristics like being manipulative, callous, being goal-oriented in kind of a negative way, and usually, again, related to career goals. Having a satisfactory to good level of impulse control, which of course makes it different than psychopathy, and tending to be related to white-collar crime or at least white-collar antisocial behavior. Now, an important point with Machiavellianism is that there's no clinical impairment here with this particular trait. So with psychopathy, there may be, depending on where the levels are. But with Machiavellianism, there would be no clinical impairment. This isn't considered a clinical construct. So we know with the dark triad that the idea here is that these subclinical presentations come together, usually in the workplace, to cause particular types of problems, to create poor leaders, to create distress in organizations, and ultimately to decrease productivity. So these different characteristics don't have to be related to disorders, as I indicated, but they do come together in a special way. At least that's what the theory indicates. So what does research tell us about the dark triad? Well, there are mixed results. Mostly everyone would agree that narcissism is not the same thing as psychopathy, that these are two distinct traits. Sometimes there's an overlap, of course, between them, but overall they're considered distinct. However, there is disagreement around Machiavellianism and psychopathy. Some would argue that the impulse control component differentiates these two constructs. So with psychopathy, of course, we see low impulse control, and with Machiavellianism, we see high impulse control. Others would argue that only really narcissism and psychopathy are distinct, and Machiavellianism is really a subclinical variant of psychopathy. So they would look at psychopathy as really almost always being clinical, and then we have this subclinical piece, this subclinical variant that we could call Machiavellianism, and perhaps there's more impulse control with this variant. So this brings up the question, is there such a thing as the dark triad? Are these three characteristics really distinct, and do they come together in some special way to cause difficulties? Well, when I look at the research literature here, I'm really not convinced the dark triad is real in the sense that these different characteristics are distinct enough, these different traits are distinct enough where we should consider them separate. I believe there's certainly a good case to say that narcissism and psychopathy are distinct, and these two constructs may come together in certain ways that cause difficulties that you wouldn't see with just one of these traits. But Machiavellianism really does appear to be covered by the construct of psychopathy. I don't think we really need Machiavellianism as a separate construct. I don't think it adds any value to the model. So instead of a dark triad, I usually think of this more as a dark dyad. A triad, of course, indicating three elements, and a dyad indicating two. So really the dark dyad would contain just narcissism and psychopathy. What is the difference between the dark traits and the vulnerable dark traits? To help answer this question, I'll be using an article that was published in 2017 by Edwards and colleagues, and I'll put the reference to this article in the description for this video. Now, the dark traits and the vulnerable dark traits are traits that are connected to criminality. And in theory, they are differentially connected, 
meaning the dark traits predict certain types of criminal activities, and the vulnerable dark traits predict other types of criminal activities. And that's what this particular article was really about. Now, this whole topic of dark traits and vulnerable dark traits is a little confusing because of the term triad. A lot of times when we hear this, we hear of the dark triad and the vulnerable dark triad. But just like the traits, there's no single agreed-upon definition for the dark triad or vulnerable dark triad. One popular definition of the dark triad would be that there's three traits here, psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. But this particular theory, to some extent, has fallen out of favor because Machiavellianism doesn't appear to be a distinct construct. I talk about this in a prior video about the dark triad. The dark triad conceptualization I'll be using here, the one we see in this article, has the interpersonal and affective psychopathic traits along with grandiose narcissism. And the vulnerable dark triad, the three traits here would be the lifestyle psychopathic traits, vulnerable narcissism, and borderline personality traits. So I'm going to take a quick look here at psychopathy, narcissism, and borderline personality disorder, and then come back and talk about how these traits are associated with the dark triad and vulnerable dark triad again. So with psychopathy, we see with this construct there are two factors, factor one and factor two. Each of these factors has two facets. So factor one psychopathy, you have interpersonal and affective facets. So on the interpersonal side, we see traits like superficial charm, grandiosity, pathological lying, and being manipulative. On the affective side, we see traits like lack of remorse, lack of empathy, and callousness. So looking at the interpersonal and the affective together, again, this is factor one, and factor one is associated with a low level of agreeableness and a high level of extroversion on the five-factor model. Now looking at factor two, this factor is referred to as the social deviance factor, and again, it has two facets. Here we have lifestyle and antisocial. Now at the lifestyle facet, we see characteristics like impulsivity and irresponsibility. With the antisocial facet, we see characteristics like poor behavioral controls and criminal versatility. Again, lifestyle and antisocial taken together, this is factor two, social deviance. And with factor two, in terms of the five-factor model, again, we see a low level of agreeableness, just like we did with factor one. But here we see a low level of conscientiousness, low level of extroversion, and a high level of neuroticism. Now, moving to the construct of narcissism. Now, narcissism can be divided into two factors, grandiose, sometimes referred to as overt, and vulnerable, sometimes referred to as covert or hypersensitive. With grandiose narcissism, we see characteristics like arrogance, a sense of entitlement, and being socially bold. Here we see it's associated with a high level of extroversion. With vulnerable narcissism, we see characteristics like being resentful, hypersensitive, having social insecurity, being defensive and avoidant. It's associated with a low level of extroversion. So we have psychopathy, narcissism, and the last construct I'll cover before I get to the traits would be borderline personality disorder or borderline personality traits. And of course, there's a lot of overlap between these two constructs. With borderline personality disorder, we see a variety of symptoms, including a fear of abandonment, identity disturbance, impulsivity, anger, 
the chronic feeling of emptiness, and a few other characteristics. So we can see that psychopathy, narcissism, and borderline personality traits can have negative consequences. There are a lot of unpleasant emotions and behaviors associated with these different constructs. Now, again, with the dark traits or the dark triad, we see the interpersonal and affective facets, that's factor one, of psychopathy, and we see grandiose narcissism. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. With the vulnerable dark traits or vulnerable dark triad, we see the lifestyle psychopathic traits from factor two, but not the antisocial. And we see vulnerable narcissism and borderline personality traits. With the dark traits, we see low levels of agreeableness, high levels of extroversion, and low levels of neuroticism. And with the vulnerable dark traits, we see low levels of agreeableness. This is in common with the dark traits. But here we see low levels of extroversion and high levels of neuroticism. So again, here we see that dark traits and vulnerable dark traits seem to have this relationship to criminality, and that's what this study is about. And you'll notice the antisocial facet of factor two psychopathy was not included, and that's because partially what makes up this particular facet is a criminal history. So this was excluded from this analysis and excluded from the definition of vulnerable dark traits. So what were the results from this particular study? Well, we see with this study they had almost 500 participants, and they divided crime up into crimes against property, crimes against persons, and drug-related offenses. And again, I've already talked about the definitions of dark triad and vulnerable dark triad as they used them here. So what we saw here with these findings is that the dark triad, the dark traits, as opposed to the vulnerable dark traits, were associated with all types of criminal activity. And the dark traits were related to violent crimes, but the vulnerable dark traits were not related to violent crimes. The vulnerable dark traits were more strongly related to property crimes and drug offenses. Now, some of the criminal activity categories really seem to be associated with both dark traits and vulnerable dark traits, like threatening and intimidation behavior, as well as fraud. 
So we see here that when you take the dark traits and the vulnerable dark traits together, they contribute to 8 to 18% of the unique variants of the crime categories. So what this means is that these traits only explain this limited percentage of criminal behavior. A lot of other factors need to be taken to account to predict criminal behavior, like contextual adversity. But still, even with this particular contribution, knowing the behavior associated with these different traits can help identify at-risk individuals and theoretically could be used to prevent crime. Can the dark triad traits be detected in someone's face? Now I'll be using a number of articles to create this video and I'll put the references for those articles in the description for this video. So when we talk about the dark triad traits, we're talking about three traits that can appear together and they're usually subclinical, meaning they don't have anything to do with mental health treatment or psychopathology. The three traits are psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. So with all three of these traits, we see manipulation of different types. And then specifically with psychopathy, we see traits like being callous, unemotional, pathological lying, having a lack of empathy, remorse, or guilt. With narcissism, we see arrogance, a sense of entitlement, being envious, having fantasies of success and power, feeling special or unique, and it also has a lack of empathy component. And with Machiavellianism, we see someone who's ruthless, has a cynical view, and disregards conventional morality. So you can see there's some overlap, quite a bit actually, between these dark triad traits. And there's this theory that you can detect the dark triad traits just by looking at someone's face. Now we're not talking about facial expressions. That would make it a lot easier because there's a lot of distinctive facial expressions aligned with some of those characteristics. But here I'm talking about emotionally neutral expressions. If somebody has an emotionally neutral expression, can someone detect dark triad traits in that person's face? So we see a number of studies on this, as I mentioned before. There's a 2011 study that found that people could reliably detect the dark triad traits in people's faces. There's another study in 2018 that attempted to replicate the 2011 study, and they found that people could only reliably identify grandiose narcissism, which is the type of narcissism we would see in the dark triad. But they could not identify psychopathy or Machiavellianism. Now these studies used computer-generated composites of faces, so not the faces of individuals, but many faces brought together using computer software. And again, we have a difference here with psychopathy and Machiavellianism. So there's some consensus that with emotionally neutral expressions, narcissism may be detectable. And of course, what they're talking about here is the shape, texture, and structure of the face. Without the expressions, that would be really, really all you'd have to go on. And this could be genetic. So it could be just that the way it works with genetics, that someone's narcissistic and they also have these other characteristics in their face. Or it may be that the facial structure and other features lead to somebody being more narcissistic. But really, if we look at these two studies, I'm still a bit skeptical that this is actually a reliable finding, a valid finding. Again, you didn't have good replication from the 2011 over to the 2018 study. Only the narcissism component really stayed in place. 
and looking at some of the other statistical properties in terms of results, I'm not convinced this is really an excellent finding, that it's highly accurate. Now, there was another study published in 2018 that looked at a similar question. Instead of all the dark triad traits, they wanted to see if just narcissism could be spotted. And they had an interesting finding in the study around facial features. So the theory here is, in this particular study, is that the eyebrows are indicative of narcissism, specifically thicker, denser eyebrows. And what they found here is that individuals could more reliably spot narcissists as long as the eyebrows were in place, again, using computer-generated composites. But when the eyebrows were missing, when they were taken out using the software, individuals could no longer reliably spot the narcissist. So this is really supporting this idea that the eyebrows indicate narcissism. So one of the theories with this paper would be that narcissists must selectively alter their eyebrows to appear more attractive. And we know that narcissists do tend to make changes in appearance more so than non-narcissists. For example, they tend to wear more fashionable clothing, expensive clothing, clothing that tends to be more stylish. They tend to be more organized in terms of their appearance, neat, and they tend to be more attractive, again, because of changes they make to their appearance. Again, due to changes they make to their appearance, not necessarily attractive genetically, not that way, just by the changes they make, again, to clothing and other areas. So do all these studies kind of settle this issue? Can facial structure, and specifically eyebrows, reveal narcissism? Well, I think these studies are interesting, and they do bring up a lot of important topics for future research, but the short answer is not really. And the problem here really becomes around the statistics we see featured in the results section. The effect size of eyebrows and facial structure is really small, and there's no getting around that in these papers. So specifically looking at just the study with the eyebrows as an indicator, the eyebrows really aren't a usable indicator for detecting narcissism, again because of this small effect size. So let's consider how this works in another example. Say that you're looking to buy an automobile and you're concerned about the safety, and you're comparing one car to another car, and one of the vehicles is more safe than the other. And then you look at the safety statistics and you see that, let's say the car you're looking at that's safer is a four-door, and the car that's a little less safe is a two-door. So you look at these statistics, and you find that that particular car explains 1%, let's just say 1% of the variance in safety. So it can only account for 1% of the variance in the actual safety you would experience driving on the road. And perhaps the other car accounts for half a percent of the variance. So both of these vehicles have a very small effect size. Yes, one is safer than the other. One would be a better choice, all other things being equal. But what you're talking about in terms of all other things here would be 99% of the variability. A lot of other factors are affecting safety. Does an individual drive intoxicated? How many years experience they have? Do they drive in safe conditions? Is the vehicle well maintained? Are they driving in the daylight as opposed to night? There's so many other indicators of safety other than that four-door car versus that two-door car. Again, in this example, and these aren't real numbers, I'm just using this as an example. So yes, you may choose the safer car, but it's really not impacting safety that much. 
And that's what we're really seeing here with the eyebrows as an indicator for narcissism. Yes, there's a significant finding, meaning the finding here that people could reliably identify narcissism with eyebrows was statistically significant. It probably didn't happen by chance, but that doesn't mean the finding is important. And that's really the difference between statistical significance and effect size. If you look at ways to detect narcissism, behavior is a much better predictor. Seeing if somebody has all those characteristics, like they're arrogant and have a sense of entitlement and tend to manipulate other people and have a grandiose sense of self-importance, those behaviors are much better predictors than what type of eyebrows they have. And the same logic can really be applied to those findings in terms of facial structure. Yes, facial structure may give some indication as to who is narcissistic and who is not, or what levels you may expect to see. But it's not a good predictor. Behavior is a much better predictor. What happens with a lot of these articles, this eyebrow article, for example, is that individuals put these in blogs and videos just looking at the central finding, that people can identify narcissists using their eyebrows better than they would be able to by chance alone. But that's not really the whole story. These different blogs and videos are created saying that you can spot a narcissist with eyebrows, but they're not understanding the mathematics, the statistics in these articles. And I see this actually as a trend with a lot of articles. There'll be one finding, but no explanation behind that finding. And that finding's put out there as if it's true, and as if there are very few limitations or no limitations. So really, these are just simplistic interpretations of really complex results, and this can lead to problems. So do we have a really definitive result here in terms of facial structure and eyebrows and narcissism or dark triad traits? No, not really. Again, an interesting area of study. And I'd like to see more articles on this topic, but I don't think we really have something that we can apply in the real world with these findings. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.